0: Taking a look inside the lives and minds of some of the world's most inspiring thought leaders.
1: At that moment, I was greeted with what I already knew, which was that I wasn't happy. And this number kind of just reaffirmed this idea that I wasn't healthy either.
0: People living inspiring lives and motivating others.
1: Being my most authentic self, being true to who I am, owning my strengths and being cool with my weaknesses. uh, That's how these days I'm putting that imposter syndrome to the side.
0: Brought to you by Athletic.
1: This is the Inspiring Lives Podcast
0: with Gary Birtwistle. I'm Gary Birtwistle and welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast, a show that looks inside the minds of some of the world's foremost thought leaders to discover their recipe for success. If you've been following our series, you'll know that we've already had a stellar lineup of guests already on the show this season. The likes of Todd Herman, Craig Ballantyne, Ryan Holiday, Rob Wolf. And the last time on the show, we had Celebrity Chef and the new kid on the block, Dan Churchill. The great guests just keep coming. So welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast brought to you by the most complete supplement for a better you, Athletic Greens. Today joining us is Emily Abate. Emily is a five-time marathoner, a triathlete, a certified personal trainer, a run coach and a spin coach. Emily Abate can say without hesitation that her life is better because she pledged to be her best self. Why? Well... There was a time when Emily weighed in at more than 200 pounds in her freshman year of college. And then she transformed her life through learning to love fitness and ultimately go on to lose more than 70 pounds. Today, her goal is to help others realise their own personal wellness potential through exercise and functional training. Emily's writing has appeared in publications including Health Runner's World, The Wall Street Journal, Men's Journal and GQ. We have Emily here today. Emily, welcome to the Inspiring Loves podcast. Thank you. Now, you have a very impressive resume and we'll talk about the work you do today and your journey. I just want to take you right back to the start. When you are a kid growing up, what, were you, what was the dream for you? What were the dreams you had for what you would do with your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, when you're little, you have all of these big, grandiose ideas about what you could be when you grow up. You know, the classic examples of I want to be an astronaut or an all-star track athlete or anything like that. And little Emily in Connecticut, you know, she uh, she wanted to be a journalist. So she really was dreaming big. Uh, I'm happy to say that she's done pretty well on that on that goal. I'm currently a a freelance journalist living in New York city on a one bedroom apartment with a closet big enough for her Cannondale bicycle. And I, uh, I write and edit, uh, for publications ranging from GQ to shape magazine, self magazine, wellandgood.com. The list goes on a lot of great, uh, fitness and wellness content. That's where my specialties lie.
0: This is interesting. I wasn't expecting to take this off-ramp during the show so early. But something you just said was very interesting, Emily. You said little Emily from Connecticut. And I interviewed Susie Quattro, the legendary rocker who's been smashing it for four decades. When I spoke to Susie, she said there is little Susie from Detroit, but when she walks on stage, she is Susie Quattro. And there's a different ego on stage than it is off stage. And she even changes personas when she's writing depending on the story she's telling. With having a little Emily from Connecticut, is there another alter ego you step into when you are racing, when you are writing? Would you say there's two alter egos that you have that make up you as a whole?
1: I think uh, as I've gotten older, I've actually really worked hard to combine it all into one me and constantly work to better the Emily that shows up, whether it is to the office or to the starting line or, you know, in the podcast studio. I think for me, uh, it's really important to work and develop who it is that I am wherever I may be and just bring my A-game at all times. I, I really try to to live my life by this mantra that all it takes is all you've got. And I think that I really bring that, you know, give it all you've got attitude everywhere I am. So while I can totally respect and understand a person that kind of embodies a different personality or, or maybe just a different mindset when she's sitting down at a computer versus showing up, um, out there on race day. I think for me, it's just, you know, really working to be Emily a body the best that I can be everywhere I am.
0: And there was a time when the Emily that's showing up now was different to the Emily of the past because there was a, a period of your life where you were self described fat. And at that time, there, were, there, were, there must have been a moment there where everything shifted because. That seems to be a different person than we have today who's racing and writing and turning up as your best self. What was the catalyst for the change emily why where Where was that moment? Did you remember that everything changed from yeah I, I got to do things different
1: totally so I was a freshman in college uh, at the University of Connecticut and I had battled with my weight steadily growing up, Uh, a lot of yo-yo dieting, just constantly up and down. And I was studying for a final one night in my spring semester and kind of putting off the work that I didn't want to do. And naturally, when you're procrastinating, you open yourself up to all sorts of things. And so I was sitting there and the corner of my eye, I saw a scale under my bunk bed, and walked over to it and took it out for probably the first time since I put it there on moving day. And I got on it and I saw a number over 200 pounds. And at that moment, I was greeted with what I already knew, which was that... I wasn't happy. And this number kind of just reaffirmed this idea that I wasn't healthy either. And I knew in that instant that I really needed to make a change, that I needed to commit to myself, that I needed to give myself some of my own energy and believe that I was worthy of that. And so I instinctively, uh, well, not instinctively at all at the time, but uh, put on a pair of sneakers and some old uh, workout clothes and ran down the steps of my dorm and out into the darkness and proceeded to sprint for what would have been probably just 15 to 20 seconds until I fell over in the grass, just so beside myself, soaked with the dew and and looking up at the sky and knowing that it was time to make a change. And so what would happen um, in, the, in the months and years that followed would be a progressive lifestyle change that was uh, a lot of life lessons, a lot of learning how to eat differently, a lot of uh, me developing a relationship with running that I had never had before, and the result of that over time was about a seventy pound weight loss that has not only changed my my health and well being, and and obviously contributed to a to a better lifestyle, but ultimately, you know, my career path. I'm now. Uh, a writer and editor in the fitness and wellness space exclusively almost Uh, a little bit of travel in there as well, as well as a certified trainer and a run coach. And these were all things that if you asked Emily at, you know, her freshman year of college, if this is what she'd be doing with her life, she never would have, would have guessed that sort of thing. So I'm very grateful for the, as I call on my podcast, the hurdle moment that, that instilled in me that I was capable and worthy of more. And uh, I'm super happy and, and excited every day to, to live this life that I have here.
0: If you could walk up to that freshman and put your arm around that freshman and look that Emily in the eye, what would you say to that freshman?
1: Looking back on it now, I just, again, you are worthy of your own investment. You deserve this. I think so often we... Want to give our energy to other people. It's easier for us to give to others than it is to take a step back and understand that we deserve some of that self love as well. And so just letting her know that, you know, whenever she felt alone, whenever she was struggling, A, she's not alone and B, that it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable and that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's all going to be okay. You deserve this time for yourself and just know that if you put in the work, then good things are going to come.
0: And part of that journey for you, you said you bought a, a pair of gap jeans and you hung them over your mirror. What, what was the intention behind that? Like, what was the psychology for you of having those gap jeans that you could look at every day?
1: Yeah I actually I uh, was working at a summer camp uh, about halfway through my weight loss journey. and when I got there, you know I didn't have access to the classic big box gyms with treadmills and ellipticals and all the other things that I had been doing that thus far in, in that journey. And so I decided to commit to running every day, even though at the time I really, really didn't like it. Um, and so, uh, I was driving up to the summer camp that year and I stopped at these outlet shops that we had nearby and walked into the gap and saw a pair of jeans that I really liked. But in the, at the time they did not have the size that I needed, but they did have a size that was about, I think about three less than I was when the summer started. And I said, you know what, I'm going to buy these jeans. I, they weren't a crazy investment, but they were an investment nonetheless. And so I hung them up on my mirror and, every day when i was thinking like oh do i want to run today do i want to make these decisions do you, am i i do, i feel like i have decision fatigue whatever the case may be i would see those jeans hanging on the mirror and i would just remember that that i was worthy of these efforts that there there was more that i wanted for myself and that if i worked hard and i really went for it that you know like they were symbolic of the ultimate payoff of course fitting into them would have been was great but it was more that they were kind of significant of, of what more was to come for me.
0: That's a good story. It's a really good story. Thanks, man. So you're, let's talk about running for a second. You are getting ready for the Chicago Marathon as we speak today. You've already done a, a, a big number of marathons in anybody's book, but you've said you have a complicated relationship with running, which I found quite curious. Describe, describe that complicated relationship.
1: I think a lot of runners have this complicated relationship in that, uh, you know, there are going to be good days and bad days, right? And I know without a doubt that running makes me feel like a better version of myself. Running is how I get back to myself. It's how I de-stress. It makes me feel when I do it almost first thing every single day that I'm taking the time to just invest in myself. But still, there are always going to be those off days. There are always going to be the runs that challenge you, that make you want to give up, whether that's within two minutes of starting yourself or whether that's, you know, 16 into a 20 mile run. And that's why, you know, it can be an it's complicated thing because it's a it can be a love hate thing. But I think what's important to know for me is that at the end of the day, it's always got to be about love and that sometimes you've got to instill those tough love lessons to get where you want to be. And, and, you know, I've never regretted going out there and, and getting out there and, and doing the run, I've definitely felt many a times like I wanted to quit. But the lesson in all of this is that uh, if you stick with it, if you if you stay strong, that there's there's always going to be something good on the other side of that that effort, even if it is uh, some tough love.
0: You know, something you said, which was quite interesting, Emily, that you, as a marathon runner, certified trainer, run coach, spin coach, you're a fitness writer and online, quite often, your own personal brand is identified with photos of you either in running gear, fitness gear, and you look fantastic. Yet you said that even today you, you have a hard time looking or thinking about those photos and you had this nagging voice inside your head that keeps telling you to push harder, go farther, be better. And that, that sounds like the imposter syndrome. How does that play out for you today? Do you do? You, is that a conscious thing you have to work at even today? When people would say, "Man, Emily's got it going on."
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone who says that imposter syndrome is completely put to the side for them, uh, I don't know if I can believe that. I think at all times of our career, and and a little bit of imposter syndrome is actually can be a good thing you know and just to define that a little bit more clearly I mean imposter syndrome is when despite having all of the credentials all of the all of the know-how to execute in your field of expertise you still at times feel a little bit like why am I the one that's doing this why me and so for me you know there have definitely been different points in my career especially um, you know in the fitness world, there's so much knowledge uh, that you can continuously accumulate, that you can continue to learn and grow. Uh, You know, there's new studies coming out every single day, new uh, plethora of information. And so for me, it's like, I try to stay up to date and I want to I try to stay up to date, but I really want to make sure at all times that I'm practicing what I preach, that I'm putting out there, whether it's in an article online or if it's just in a discussion with a friend, the best knowledge, the best information. And so, yeah, it can be easy a little bit. It can be easy sometimes to feel as though um, that imposter syndrome is kicking in because you just want to, I just want to put my best foot forward at all times. And again, I think, like I said, it can be a little bit of a good thing because I think it keeps me humble. I think uh, it also always keeps me wanting more. It makes me want to, uh, you know, keep reading, keep studying, keep having these conversations, keep opening myself up to, to new dialogues and, and, you know, be the best version of myself that I can be.
0: So let's let's dig into that a second. You said on your own podcast show, Hurdle, which is terrific, by the way, and you, you had a guest on, Robin Azon, and it was a terrific interview and you guys seemed to get on very well. And during the interview, you opened up and you said that there was a moment where you were the fitness editor of Self and you were asked to go on to Good Morning America and it was a big Times Square thing. So that's a big deal, right? So there's a there's a lot on the line. And you said at that moment, and you actually called it the imposter syndrome kicked in, where it's, why me? Do I deserve this? Am I worthy? Can I do this? Today, you're getting lots more of those opportunities and you are putting yourself continually out there. How do you specifically handle the voice today? So when the imposter syndrome rises and you had that opportunity in Times Square, how do you handle that dialogue? And what what have you changed that dialogue to?
1: I think these days... I have just gotten to a place where I cannot deny my expertise. I think when you are young and up and coming and these things are starting to happen and you're understanding the scope of the influence that you have and that opportunity, it can be intimidating not to say that the opportunities that come my way today are are not extremely intimidating. But I think at this point, what I've come to understand is that I have put in a considerable amount of work to get to where I am today. I've studied for hours and hours and hours for personal training certifications and run coach certifications. And oh God, when I spent what felt like a month straight on a spin bike, learning how to coach people to to be their best selves in the, in the spin studio. Um, you know, at those times, that's a lot of effort. Uh, and and I think what comes uh, with more and more experience is just a greater level of comfort and understanding that whatever it is, owning what you know, also owning what you don't know, and then showing up for people in the best way that you are qualified to in the best way that you know how. And so what I've done is just, you know, be completely myself. I find with authenticity comes really great conversation and even better connection. And so, For me, just being my most authentic self, being true to who I am, owning my strengths and being cool with my weaknesses, uh, that's how these days I'm putting that imposter syndrome to the side.
0: Something which I'm really curious about is people who maintain it, Emily, and you've now managed to make the change, which you talked about earlier in the show. I just want to ask you about maintaining That change, Because in a post on Christmas Eve, you said the past few weeks have been a lot of things, food, drinks, cookies, more food, more drinks, more cookies, late nights out slinging tequila shots and dinners that linger on for hours. And you then went on to talk about how the fact that morning runs or trips to the gym may or may not happen. And in amongst what you call the holiday chaos, you've been trying hard to calm the voice in your head that criticizes the changes in your body. And a lot of people will finish a marathon and go into almost a depression because well, what's now done, what else? But you've been able to maintain this momentum for a long time now. When you start to have those binges where you, you go, it's okay to have a few tequilas, some cookies, some cake, it's okay. How do you know to pull the brakes on and say, okay, in your physiology and psychology, that's enough. Now it's time to get back on the bike, back on the road. What's that moment? Because most people don't know that moment. And what happens is they get fit, but then they they hit the slide. And it's until something really happens, but that way they're a long way down the track. It's a lot to come back from. How do you know where to pull the brakes on? And what process do you go through to pull on the brakes?
1: I think that for me, it just gets to a point where I realize that the indulgences are the things that I have kind of been allowing myself. And and what I will say first and foremost is that I've never been the kind of person to really abide by like a completely restrictive diet. But again, go back to that worth that term lifestyle. Uh, For me, it's always been how to integrate the things that make me happy. And coming from a big Italian family, a lot of that has to do with food. Uh, So integrating the things that make me happy, whether that's, you know, that big Italian Christmas Eve dinner situation (laughs) or what have you, uh... And and finding some balance uh, with my fitness, with my overall lifestyle, and understanding that it is a huge picture, and that one or two or three days or a week vacation isn't going to undo all the progress that has happened for me since, give or take, you know, two thousand and seven. And so, what um, I do when I get to this point where I feel as though I'm kind of going off the rails or getting out of control is I kind of think back to my why, and I have a of lists. I'm a big list maker and I have lists for everything. It's lists of things that I like about myself, lists of things I'd like to change about myself, lists of things that make me feel a certain way, a list of why I love to run, a list of what I feel like, uh, you know, when I'm at my healthiest self. And I'll go back to these lists, especially the one about why I like to run and, and why I'm happy about Uh, the progress that I've made, and I'll read that and I'll remember my why. And I think that's so important, especially when we feel like we get sucked into the vacuum. Is just coming back to the reasons of why we were doing these things in the first place. Uh, For me, I get to a point where I look at this list and I remember how good it feels when I just feel like my best self. And so no matter how much fun all of these nights out and, you know, the whatever it may be, I remember that it is possible to indulge in these things, but maybe not to the extent that I had been. And then just getting back to it. And I think that's the most important thing that I can tell anyone who's struggling is just that a little step forward is still a step in the right direction. And so whether that is maybe all right, well, I still have all of these holiday parties to go to, but today I'm going to make sure that I don't skip out on my morning run. Or maybe at tomorrow night's cocktail thing, I will have two drinks instead of the mindless eight that I've been doing for the past six weeks. So it's just finding the joy in those small victories and remembering your why and taking those steps forward to, uh, to really get back on the right track.
0: What's the, what's the most profound question that you yourself are looking to answer before you finish your time on the planet? What's the big question that you'd like to find an answer to?
1: Great Q. Um, I think I'm constantly trying to define, again, the things that make me happy. And for a long time, uh, I was placing a lot of my happiness in the hands of others. And I think obviously relationships are golden, but at the end of the day, happiness is how you feel about yourself when you are by yourself. And so for me to continually define what happiness is and figure out how to live my life in a way that truly makes me smile every single day, that is my goal, that is what I want to do. And that is you know, the mission that I'm on.
0: If we can just take it off right there, Another guest on your show, Gunnar Peterson, who's kind of a celebrity trainer to the stars, I guess you describe him, said to you that it's important to know your worth. Have you gained the belief in yourself, Emily, to know and charge for your worth?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's been really interesting on the entrepreneurial side, uh, being my own boss and also being my own biggest advocate that, Gunnar said also to me that there are going to be times that you should never do anything for free, but that doesn't necessarily mean don't do something if there's no dollar signs attached Mm. to it. So it's really Mm. thinking about what you can get out of your life, what you can get out of your partnerships, out of your relationships. Uh, you know, it's going to always be a give and take sort of thing. But for me, uh, I am constantly trying to see bigger picture and think about, okay, how can I benefit? Whether that is a situation that might be deemed as a success or a failure. And that's another you know, really important point is that um, even the bad stuff that happens in our life happens to, to teach us something and we have the opportunity and you have to choose to accept it and, and, and move forward with it. We have that opportunity to learn from these failures. And so for me... Uh, as an entrepreneur, constantly just working hard to find those relationships, find the, the right circumstances that make me feel truly valued and, and know that it's a two-way street, uh, understanding that I only really want to partner and work with brands and experts and, and individuals that I feel like build me up. Um, and that I feel like I can do that for them as well. And it's it's one of my favorite sayings is um, make sure to, to interact with people that are faucets and not drains. And if someone's a drain and you can't seem to shake that relationship, ask yourself what it is that you feel like you're getting from that relationship. And is there a way to get that in a way? Is there, and is there a way to get that somewhere that won't leave you with this feeling of just such emptiness?
0: It's, it's a curious thing, isn't it? Because the word, emptiness could apply in lots of different ways because you, you live alone, work from WeWork because you are a, a digital nomad, so you can work from anywhere, which is quite an insular activity. <laughs> Marathon training, long runs, the road work you've got to do is very insular and that can be a very lonely pursuit. When you're writing, you're inside your own mind, writing as a creator, that can be a lonely pursuit. In those quiet moments when you think about and reflect, which you've got a lot of them to reflect on yourself and you look in the mirror, how, how do you, who, who is Emily? Who, have you established that point where you have true awareness of yourself because of the time you spend by yourself?
1: I think uh, it's been one of the most amazing and inspiring moments uh, opportunities in my life to work for myself. Uh, when I started as a freelance journalist uh, just over two and a half years ago, it wasn't a choice that I made. I was working for Self and the magazine Folded and I you know, was thrust into this freelance lifestyle. Um, I did obviously have the opportunity to go look for new full-time jobs, but what I came to learn pretty quickly was that not only uh, could I do well in this field, but then I could potentially thrive. And, you know, that's kind of how I got into, into creating the podcast that I have hurdle and, and, and so much more. And so for me, all this time alone has really truly enabled me to figure out again, the things that make me happy and ask myself a lot of the important questions that I think so many, May be afraid to get into because they don't have to spend this much time alone. They they choose not to put in this self work, Um, and so, you know, kind of always bring it back to uh, this concept of you know finding a partner. For me, um, I'm single. I'm in my 30s. I'm living in New York, and so often we'll we'll hear people say that like this person is my other half, but I feel confident knowing that I. I hundred I percent know who I am now I know how to show up for me and only now do I feel like I'm ready to show up for somebody else and I think that um, I'm lucky uh, and and there are definitely times where you know again to your point of, of running and training and working and living all by myself. It can certainly be lonely, but I just try to, to bring it back in and reel it in and remember that I've had this wonderful opportunity to do so much work, to know who I am, to feel confident as to what I have to offer between my relationships. And then of course my work and, and my personal life. And so I, uh, I find a lot of solace in that. And I, and I know Mm -hmm. that Uh, it's all happening for the right reasons and that there's good stuff to come for me.
0: Let's talk about marathon for a second, Emily, because the marathon, the race itself can be a great metaphor, can be a great teacher about life. And I interviewed Dina Castor, who I think won Chicago, uh, maybe even won New York, who was certainly got a bronze medal in the Olympics in marathon, one of the great female marathon runners. And Dina said that, when it got dark on the marathon course, so say it's at 32 or 35k mark, where many people would say that's where the race starts and it gets dark and all these things start going through our mind. Dina said she would always critique herself and go, is this thought serving me? Is there a better thought that would serve me better? I'm curious to know with all the work you've done on yourself, when that moment comes for you, where do you go to?
1: it's all about coming back to mantras and also trusting in your training. So on the mantra side of things, I have a few that I tell myself, uh, you know, when I'm going through those tough times, uh, things like you didn't come this far to only come this far. That is what I said over and over and over to myself and the downpours of Boston in 2018. Uh, and then just, you know, my family motto is do good, uh, there's so much research talking about the benefit of talking to yourself in the third person. Uh, so doing a lot of that and just, but again, going back to the idea of trusting your training. Uh, marathon training is a lot. Uh, it's a big opportunity cost. You sacrifice a lot of things, whether that is time with friends or sleep or, you know, so many other things just to home in on this ultimate goal. And if you place all of your successes of your marathon training on that one day, then I think you're missing the bigger picture of the opportunity we have to take the entire journey and learn from it every single moment of those, you know, 14, 16, 18 weeks that you're putting into that 26.2 mile day. And so for me, When it feels hard and when it is hard and when you're tired and you want to give up, I remember, again, the girl in that dorm room. I remember, again, that I have put in so much work and that all of that opportunity cost wasn't just for me to get there on that day and say, man, this is hard. I'm out. It's a bigger life lesson. You know, we say it all the time is that, you know, marathoning is so applicable to everything that we're doing. It teaches us that, it's a journey well-lived and, and that there's so much opportunity for us that we are literally capable of anything that we put our mind to. And so for me, when the times get tough, it's just remembering my why and pushing forward and just taking it one step at a time until you get to that, to that finish line tape.
0: It's curious when you think about the marathon, Emily, how has your training changed over the years? So being a certified trainer and a run coach... And you've now done a number of marathons training for another one coming up. How are you approaching your training differently or are you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, for any new runner, my biggest piece of advice when they run their first marathon is just to run it uh, I definitely didn't go into my first marathon back in 2013 with a time goal. All I did was approach it and say, I want to cross that finish line in October, my first marathon being the Hartford marathon. Uh, I went to, to college, not far from, from where they have that one. Uh, and so now, you know, as time has progressed and I've realized or can't come to understand more about what my body is capable of, uh, I've shifted that dialogue a little bit and definitely have thrown some time goals into the mix and with those time goals comes a little bit different type of training instead of just, you know, trying to hit a certain amount of mileage mileage every week. Now I am incorporating things like interval runs and incline running and, uh, you know, tempo running and, and different just methods to the madness to help me work on my speed as well as my overall endurance. And so it's a little bit different now than it used to be, but honestly, I like this kind of training a bit more because it keeps me on my toes. It helps me avoid mundane days and and makes me excited for different challenges throughout the week and throughout the program.
0: What relationship have you built with pain, Emily?
1: Um, Interesting question. I am lucky that I haven't really experienced anything too uh, awful uh, in my running career so far. The biggest hurdle that I've faced when it comes to marathoning is that I've got a couple of not the best nerves in my feet, uh, some of which uh, at times have really acted up and and begged me to take a break. And uh, those are things that I have definitely done. Uh, before, I remember after running my first full marathon, I think the following year I had they're called neuromas. I had a neuroma act up in my right foot, just some inflammation that uh, I took the whole season off of running and and had to turn to indoor cycling instead. And and you know that's a tough conversation to have, but I'm pretty good at reeling it in and understanding that a there's like always an alternative to. Uh, you know what you had been doing, so yes, I love running. But I remember at that time I leaned into, like I said, indoor cycling and some yoga, and just really heeded the advice of professionals and doctors and sports medicine physicians. Uh, and and I've had some some minor things since, um, some more nerve stuff in in the feet, and you know, an occasional tight hip situation, but nothing too bad. Never broke any bones as I sit here and knock on my wood table. Uh, and and so I just. I I embrace pain. Um, and I mean, there's a whole other side of pain when it comes to like the, the hurt that we experience when you quote unquote hit the wall during the marathon. And I think that really just becomes a game of mental toughness at that point. But for me, when it comes to actual physical injury, I I listen to my body constantly. I'm never trying to, to push too far and, and just really learning every day what I'm capable of and, and trying to be smart with it for sure.
0: And part of, I guess part of your, Emily's operating system, it was some advice you got from a former mentor. His name was Fred, who was the chief digital officer at Condé Nast back in the day. Fred gave you some profound advice that you've adopted into your world. Can you share that advice that Fred gave you? Oh my
1: God, he's <laughs> he's offered me so much excellent advice uh, over the years. I'm so lucky to have him as a mentor and and a good friend in my life. Uh, Fred always tells me that he... Uh, being, you know, in such a high up position, uh, one of the best lessons that he's learned in his life is always just to surround yourself with a killer team. and, And when it comes to business specifically, to hire people that you think are better than you. And so for me, when it comes to training and even just my relationships and my friendships, I really strive to surround myself with people that build me up and make me feel like a better me, that make me confident in who I am and that I have a lot to contribute. And then I also want to, in turn you know give back to them and and be their biggest cheerleader i think that really good people love to cheer on other people and when you find someone that can't support others you really have to take a second and and look at them and and maybe they have to look within and ask themselves what is it that's going on with me that makes me feel as though i'm incapable of supporting and so for me uh you know from marathoning to to the office life i'm just constantly trying to embrace the relationships that again, our faucets and that build one another up and and uh, and focus on all that good stuff because we're all worthy of those those kind of influences in our life.
0: It's part of that, Emily, having people around you who will hold you accountable, people who will level you up as well?
1: Oh, for sure. I think uh, accountability is one of the most wonderful and scary things that we can have, right? It's uh, part of the beauty uh, of social media that... Here we are talking about different things that I've put out into the world and a lot of these things I'm putting out there, not only hopefully to maybe help someone as as if I could have used that help back in my freshman dorm room, but then again, to just be accountable for myself right now. You know, showing up on Instagram and saying, I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon, well, that makes those days when I don't want to get out of bed, uh, which which happened a lot, I think about the fact that like, well, this is what it is now. And this is the goal that's in the world. And this is what I'm going to do. And on the days where it's hard for me to show up for myself, I remember that this is what's going to keep me accountable. So I think that, uh, you know, showing up for one another and, and that accountability factor is so important, especially when you think about those, those bigger picture goals that we all have.
0: And as part of your gig just to close this out, you actually spent a few days with CrossFit legend, Rich Froning, who was crowned the fittest man in the world. Just to finish this up, Emily, what was your observation of Rich Froning? Was there something that you observed that surprised you that you then thought, actually, it's something I should incorporate into my operating system?
1: Rich Froning is one of like the most good-hearted, kind guys I feel like I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. I I went down to his home. He welcomed us in there uh, for a piece of content with Men's Health. And I was just so astounded by his ability to get things done and also be kind. I think a lot of the time, so many people feel like When you're just grinding, there's no time for niceties. It's just do, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And Rich is a really determined guy with, you know, a really great legacy and and a lot that he has put out into the world. And still, he is so family oriented. He was so just wonderful to me and the team that showed up there. And and just his his get it done nature, uh, while incorporating again, just being such a good human was so refreshing and. And great to see, especially because I think that so often, you know, people just assume that they know how things could be. They see someone on social media or on TV or wherever it may be, and they they think they know. But the reality is, is that you don't know someone until you have the opportunity to to sit down and break bread. And for me, uh, meeting Rich and and seeing him in his home environment was, was really special. And then, I mean, I saw him not too long ago, recently at a, at a Reebok event here in New York city. And immediately he, we walked eyes and he was like, Hey, how are you? And, you know, it's nice to know that that guy probably meets so many people all of the time, constantly being interviewed and poked and prodded and God knows what. And he's still, you know, valued that human connection just as much as I did, and I think that makes him a stand-up guy.
0: So, Emily, just to uh, appreciate you've got lots going on in your world. Thank you for your time. Just one, one quick thing. You actually, you're an ambassador for Athletic Greens. That I am. But hearing your show, Hurdle, for quite a while now... There's two things. Number one is you actually love the product and you were way into the product before you became an ambassador. But number two, what I found very curious that you said on your show was you felt a bit skeptical at the start of products like this, yet you've been completely sold over. What changed for you?
1: I think it's funny. I mean, I get thrown my way so many different types of supplements and things to try and review and whatnot. And I... uh The first thing that hooked me on Athletic Greens was that I have never been... Uh, a greens person, a green juice consumer. It's just never been something that I really enjoyed. And when I was first offered athletic greens uh, and I tried it, I was almost mystified that I liked the flavor of it <laughs> because <laughs> I had never ever felt that way about a greens product. And so I was like, okay, well, this is the first thing that's going to get me to keep consuming this uh, you know, for at least the short time being. And then as, as time went on and the weeks went on, I just started to Feel better, and I think I'm very fortunate in that I've never had, you know, any food intolerances or anything that's really been a red flag. Especially considering my Italian upbringing, but when I have Athletic Greens, it's just a part of my everyday routine. It just there's no two ways there's no way to say it better than I just feel better. I feel like it really just just sets me up. Uh, to take advantage of whatever it is that I put into my body during the day. And, you know, there are going to be those days where it's not 100% clean eating on point, and that's okay. And I feel like on those days especially, that's really when it's important for me to to mix up my shaker bottle, to drink that first thing in the morning, because at least I know by doing that that I'm setting myself up for, for to be going in the right direction.
0: Well, I can tell you it's a very proud association. Uh Where do people find out more about you, Emily, all your work? We've mentioned a lot of things during the show. Where's the hub for all Emily's stuff?
1: For sure, definitely check me out on social media is at Emily Abadi, A-B-B-A-T-E. And also follow along with me on my website. It's eabadi.com. And then of course, give Hurdle a listen. If you like what Athletic Greens is doing, then trust me, I know you will like the show. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts. It is Hurdle Podcast and over on the web at Hurdle Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as at Hurdle.us online.
0: Well, this is big a complete and utter delight I really have enjoyed being able to meet you through the show the stuff you're doing is wonderful and I hope that someday in New York we get to sit down and share a, an Athletic Greens and cheers together <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for your time, I know how much you got going on with your busy program but um, it's been a real treat and a real privilege, thank you
1: Thank you and you know, I'm always open to coming to Australia if need be <laughs> I'm there mate
0: So, that's today's show. There are loads more incredible guests in the weeks to come on the Inspiring Loves podcast. You can find all the show notes at athleticgreens.com. Next time on the show, we will sit down with Preetha G. Preetha G is one of the world's leading women philosopher teachers. She, along with her husband, Krishnaji, founded O&O Academy. It's a philosophy and meditation school that helps transform human consciousness and has impacted scores of seekers from around the world. Preetha Ji leads us to a whole new way of discovering love, passion, creativity and innovation. That's all next time on the Inspiring Lives podcast. The Inspiring Lives podcast brought to you by Athletic Greens. New episodes out every other Monday morning. Tune in and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or your favorite podcast platform.